It is that time of year again here at the Leukemia Foundation to talk about the world's greatest shave. The world's greatest shave is one of the country's longest running and most iconic fundraising campaigns, bringing Australians together to champion a good cause for over 25 years. Every year, each March, a community of trailblazers step up to shave, cut or colour their hair, all in the name of funding game-changing blood cancer support and research. Every dollar you will raise will help keep families together when they need it the most. We'll provide practical and emotional support services to patients and their families. We'll help fund cutting-edge research and campaign for change for those affected. We'll help families meet basic costs like putting food on the table, getting to hospital or paying bills. You will join a community of trailblazers determined to shape a brighter future for blood cancer patients and their families. A community that champions change, that doesn't take no for an answer. So why don't you sign up to the Leukemia Foundation's World's Greatest Shave and shave, cut or colour your hair in support of Australians facing blood cancer. Every dollar you will raise will help provide support services to patients and families and keep them together. You get to a point in life where you think you're in control of everything and uh, mm -hmm. all of a sudden it gets taken out from underneath you. I guess I kind of felt ripped off. It's just living in the moment and just being adaptable to situations. Give people voices to talk about, Do you know what, that phase is often the hardest and be prepared for it because it's not what you think it will be. Talking Blood Cancer, a podcast for those facing blood cancer by the Leukaemia Foundation find the best way forward using their own purpose that they have in their life and using their passions. I've lost fear and doubt. Like I no longer doubt myself in situations and nothing scares me. That gives you another goal to work towards and, and a reason to live. I'm Kate Arkadip and I'm the host of Talking Blood Cancer. This podcast shares the stories of the people we have connected with who have faced a blood cancer so that you, our listeners, can gain insight, find purpose and take inspiration. Before we get into today's episode, the Leukemia Foundation acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which we share these stories. We recognise their continuing connection to land, sea and community as the first storytellers of this country. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. This story may contain content that some listeners may find difficult and challenging. We encourage anyone listening to take care of their own mental health and well-being. The purpose of this podcast is to share real-life stories of people living with a blood cancer, and any discussion of medical treatments is not an endorsement. We encourage you to seek advice from your treatment team if you have any questions regarding your diagnosis, side effects, or treatment. If you would like to talk to someone, or even if you would like more information on our services or today's episode, please feel free to contact one 800 620-420 and someone will be able to connect you with your local blood cancer support coordinator. So 
Let's get into today's episode. In today's conversation, Vanessa interviews Glennis Davison, who was diagnosed with AML in her 60s. She is much more than her diagnosis. She is a wife, a mother, a grandmother, and a retired teacher living in regional New South Wales. Vanessa and Glennis discuss the challenges of living remotely with the diagnosis of a blood cancer and the limited resources in our regional and remote areas of Australia. Welcome everybody. Today we have Glennis Davidson on Talking Blood Cancer to share her story and to give some tips and hints of what she did um, while she was going through the process of treatment and survivorship. So we have Glennis. Hi Glennis. Hello, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm going really well now. I'm on six monthly visits and life virtually has returned to normal. My husband and I just had COVID over Christmas again, but we managed to, um, our children did Christmas packs and we had our prawns and FaceTime present opening and anyway. We all coped. Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it was a bit unexpected, but that happens. I'll tell you my story then. 27th of August 2019, I had been suffering from asthma, which I do get occasionally, and there were a lot of bushfires in our area and a lot of backburning. Virtually all the asthmatics in Ballina were having problems and being treated for it. However, I went on a Tuesday to see my grandson in Innesteadford and after he did that, I walked out to the car and I just felt absolutely terrible, exhausted and just felt awful thinking it was my asthma. So I went straight to Ballina District Hospital and presented there and said, look, my asthma's not being controlled, I'm on prednisone, it's not working. And they took me in. And during the treatment of the asthma, they did a blood test. And then they came back and said, Glenna says an anomaly in your blood. And I said, oh, what does that mean? They said, Mm. well, you need to stay here a bit longer and we'll do further tests. So they had done the blood test, got it to Lismore, who notified them that there was a problem. That was about on a Tuesday lunchtime. And my husband found me because I just left a note on the bench to say I was at the hospital because I felt terrible. And he Mm. um, found me. They put us in a quite separate little room and we had x-rays, scans, more blood tests, I think. And then at half past seven that night, the young doctor, who was wonderful, came in, he closed the door. And as soon as they closed the door, you know you've got a problem. (laughs) Anyway, mm. he said, I'm so sorry, Glennis, you have acute myeloid leukemia. And I just said, well, that's not very good. What do we do now? I didn't cry. I was more angry in that mm-hmm. I eat the right things. I exercise all the time. I just felt a little bit cheated, I suppose. Yes. The Sunday before, I'd been cross-country running with my one of my grandsons, and I'd wow. said to him, Nana can't run very well today because of her asthma. You run ahead and I'll meet you along the way, sort of. At the day before, I'd been at gym, I'd been out to coffee, and then the next day, the Tuesday, I was in hospital. (laughs) Half past 10 that night, the young doctor said, answering my question, what do we do now? 
He said, I've already booked a consultant, a specialist at Gold Coast University Hospital. You have a bed there. You can virtually either drive yourself up or go in an ambulance. That was so half past 10 that night. I was already in a ward at Gold Coast University Hospital, all set up, ready to go, basically. (laughs) That is so quick. It was very quick. Um, My husband, thankfully, was with me all the time. We did get lost getting to the hospital because we really didn't know (laughs) where it was and it was dark and we were a bit flustered. But anyway, next morning in came my blood team, my specialist, and I had a lung team as well because of the asthma. And also two wonderful ladies, Jade and Alison from the Kenya Foundation came in as well. And everyone advised me what had to be done. And the Lakini girls were fabulous because they just calmed the situation, talked to us both, asked if we mm-hmm. needed accommodation, finance, transport, all of those things. Some of them we hadn't even thought about, really. I was thinking I'd gone home, packed a bag, you know, have a few days in hospital which Greg Seely was the doctor there. He um, informed me, he said, you'll be here for three weeks in hospital and then you may need a stem cell transplant. And further along the way, they did genetic testing and I did need a stem cell transplant. So the girls organised accommodation for Greg. Well, at that time, there were two places in Queensland at the Gold Coast. One was Earl's Court Motel and the other one was Aquiline Apartments. The Leukemia Foundation doesn't actually own them, but they have an agreement to help people like me. That's great that that you managed to get involved quite early with you because that, you know, it doesn't always happen. People don't hear that we're around until a little bit later on. So that And that's that's what I've heard. So Mm. obviously I'm assuming Gold Coast University Hospital immediately got in touch with the Leukemia Foundation because the girls Mm. were there the next day virtually and answered questions, gave me the booklets. By then I'd been linked up. I'd had a pig pig put in my arm Mm. and I was linked up to antibiotics because they really didn't know if it was just asthma and I was in a bit of an isolation room. They had to gown up because they didn't know if I was um, going to infect everybody else. It could have been influenza. Mm. So I was put on high antibiotics, chemo. They did bone marrow, biopsies, everything. It just happened straight away. And luckily Greg had accommodation because he was there every day and uh, he had somewhere to stay. So uh, that's how it started. (laughs) Yes. That's just so shocking when, especially when you're a fit person that, as you said, you're running with your grandson and it, the asthma was playing up, but it's that's asthma. You thought it was just a normal reaction to the bushfires. and That's right. And then you get told that. It's such a shock. It's just, it was just like, have you been feeling tired? And I was still working. Um, I had retired as a teacher, but I was still doing block casual and mm-hmm. things, and I was booked up. The week before, I was booked up further down the line for blocks. I mean, yes, I did get a bit tired, but I put that down to the asthma and, and just getting Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
and just the exhaustion of life, really. I mean, you know, that sign of that we all have because we rush so much and I think being tired is a normal for a lot of people. And so when you look at that as a symptom and, yeah, you don't even think about it. It was the furthest thing from my mind and Greg's mind. I mean, the children mm. were all shocked and we told family and friends and it was very daunting. My daughter had to go out and get a beggar bag, you know, with more pyjamas and sort of stretchy mm. leisure wear. I did try to, that's a little hint, I did try to dress every day, just get out of your yep. pyjamas sort of thing. And my friends knew I was my curves gym. They were wonderful. They just rallied together and had texts. I had cards coming all the time. Wow. The texts were wonderful from many, many friends, school and gym and everything, because sometimes I'd be having a treatment which wasn't very pleasant, but mm. I'd hear the phone do a little ding and I'd think, oh, you know, someone's thinking of me. Someone's thinking. I can have a chat <laughs> later, and which really was excellent. And that's something I've tried to carry through to other people now who I know are not just sick with blood cancer. There's one friend who is battling lymphoma at the moment, but just others who have had illness. And I just send them a little text with flowers or a funny little saying, and it helps a lot helps a lot and a text is perfect isn't it because oh. it's not you're not interrupting them you know if you were feeling unwell and didn't feel like talking but you hear that little ding and you go and as you said somebody out there is thinking of me in this yeah. time when I'm feeling pretty crappy yes and I can still reply to a text and say thank you for yeah it's that connection isn't it because especially when you're in isolation and you're the only people you see are the nurses and and your loved one that can, can come in mm. yeah it's really hard for people so that's well, it was interesting. Um, my children were able to come in because this was just before COVID. Uh, and the children, my children and grandchildren did come in. And one little hint that I did do, because I was linked up to bags of chemo, blood transfusions, plasma, everything was happening. And my grandchildren came in and I said to them, see all these things, hang these bags of things happening here. Oh, yes, Nana. I said, well, you know, the tubes go from there into my arm. So that's my medicine. I said, now, when you take medicine, how do you take it? And they said, oh, you know, with a syringe or swallow it, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I said, do you think Nana could swallow all of that? And the, uh -huh. the answer was, oh, no. And I said, well, that's how they give me my medicine, to make me better. That was the end of the discussion. They were happy to understand what was going on and off they went. And I actually told that to some interns that came in to interview me and uh, one of them said, oh, that is such a good idea. I'll remember that. So that's oh, good. That's good. But from there I went to three weeks and then I was an outpatient and they had told me you would definitely need a stem cell transplant next year. Mm -hmm. And I think it was four more rounds of chemo with the pump. You know, you get the pump installed yes. one day and yep. taken out the next. And while that yep. was happening, I was in either Earl's Court or Aquiline. A couple of times I could go home until my platelets built up and then they'd hit me again with it. Yeah, so I was always taking my temperature, which was so important. Yes. I went back in a few times at Gold Coast, and mm -hmm. the 
most daunting one was before Christmas and my temperature, I felt fine. I really did. My hair had all fallen out, but I was lucky. I didn't have a lot of pain. And they um, put me in, kept taking my temperature, of course, linked me up with the antibiotics again and mm. monitored me all the time. And I got out two days before Christmas, 2019. Wow. So that was pretty close. <laughs> and I, they, they really, I think, wanted to get me out as best they could. Yeah. Which was great. So then I came home. I was in remission. But Cameron Curley was my specialist at Royal Brisbane Women's Hospital. And the mm-hmm. Leukemia Foundation has actually done a whole video of him. Okay, yeah. It was a little, it was last, oh no, it was this year, earlier in the year, just okay. talking about his research and everything. And he was amazing. Mm. He had appointments with me, with my husband always with me. My daughter did come up to, she's a speech pathologist and a director of Allied Hills. It was good having another pair of ears. Mm. Was, I miss stuff. He missed stuff. But Amelie, our daughter, she seemed to, Take it all in. <laughs> take it all in, yeah. yeah. And That's good that you can, yeah. Always take just a, a third set of ears is sometimes good mm. because they're a little bit more removed from the actual intensity of it, I think. And I always had a little notebook with me. I'm up to book three. So any questions <laughs> I have, I write down straight yep. away. Otherwise, with all the chemo, I tended to forget things. Yes, I think that's so important. I tell many patients when they say that they're not getting the information that they require or they're not getting the answers that they thought they needed and I would always say write it down, take it in, even if you have to show the written page to the haematologist and go, these are the things on my mind, I'd like some answers. Yeah, They they got used to me. I'd come in with the book and I'd just sit at the desk I'm a little bit up front. I'm the book to that date and that page with all my questions. And um, even my GP now, he pulls the chair over when we have teleconferences and he reads all the questions as we go. (laughs) He knows. And the two specialists knew. Cameron was terrific. He did a whole timeline for me. I did have a donor and I don't know what happened to them actually. All my family, children, friends tested to see if they could help. Wow. None of them were okay. My children had too many antibodies. It would have killed me. Ah. But I ended up with a donor, a 26-year-old male overseas in Europe somewhere. And things were going along that this is what would happen to you. And then COVID hit, everything no harvesting of stem cells worldwide, everything stopped. We just had to wait. But I was in remission. They told me I had a 75% chance of AML coming back, which I didn't like the odds at all. Mm, (laughs) And mm. anyway, on Anzac Day 2020, Cameron rang me and it was a holiday, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, why is he ringing me today? And he said, it's all go. Are you ready, more or less? And I said, absolutely. When can wow. I get there? <laughs> so May, end of May, I went up, was prepared, all the chemo was done, full body radiation, and the stem cells had been harvested. The girls came in, 
the nurses came in when they the stem cells arrived in Australia at the hospital and they said, all your stem cells have arrived, Glennis, they're all in the freezer, you know, we're ready to go. <laughs> and then um, my husband was there when I actually had the the stem cells put in. And yes. I don't remember this, he said, but he said, oh, I remember them coming in and, you know, it was all thawed out and we were all linked up and off I went. They had a big wow. poster on the wall saying, happy transplant day, Glennis. Yeah. It was, it was nice. I mean, oh, that's if nice. you can say it was nice. <laughs> yes, yeah. But it's comforting when people are around and celebrating that it happened because, you know, that happened to so many people with COVID stopping transplant and stopping our overseas connections. And so lots of people had to wait and wait. So I guess for them as well as you, it was such a joy that, okay, we can go. Um, and I was lucky in that I had gone up before the border lockdown came in. Mm. So I was already in Queensland and yes. I was in Hurston Village. So Greg mm. was just down the road. He could walk up to the hospital and back. And that was really, really excellent. Mm. Unfortunately, no one else could visit us because of the lockdowns. But yep. we coped. <laughs> I mean, I was immune compromised anyway, so I really couldn't have a lot of mm, visitors. No. No. So. No. But yeah, they, that's another thing that affected people that those border closures because, yeah, it's, it was crazy for a while. It was very intense. I actually saw one of my friends who had a different cancer who was supposed to have treatment in Queensland and she was on um, a current affair saying, you know, oh, wow. this is not fair. I need this to survive. I, I was luckily already there. <laughs> a few times they did say to me, oh, you're from New South Wales. I said, yes, but I've been here two months anyway. So it's not Yeah, I'm not bringing anything in. No. Yeah. <laughs> when I did my 40 days, I had nausea. That's something to mm -hmm. warn people. And it was just sudden. I could be talking like this to you and then suddenly go, mm, got to go. I got to go. It, oh. it, that really hit me. Mm. But they gave me medication and I think olanzapine was the thing that I had. Yep. And my husband would say, Greg would say, well, you've taken those tablets. He said, I'll leave now because you're just going to sleep, which I did. It just knocked, yes. knocked me out. I just slept for hours that way. The drugs have really improved for the nausea. They've really improved over the last 20 years. That was fabulous. Um, and yeah. I was being fed with a nasal tube. They'd put that yep. in earlier. So I was getting that sustenance all the time. Mm -hmm. I did eat. I'd always order soup and cut yep. up whatever else, meat or veggies, cut up really fine. I put it in the soup and I found that was easier for me to swallow and handle because the mm. thing down my throat really wasn't pleasant. <laughs> no. But you cope. No. Yeah, so um, from there we went into... Hurston Village, and I went back and had my regular blood tests and checkups. Mm -hmm. And I'd had a Hickman put in my chest. They took the pick mm -hmm. out, put the Hickman in. And that was really a godsend because it had more nozzles and they could pump more yes. stuff into me. Mm. Yeah. So while we were at the um, apartments, I like exercise. I can't sit and do nothing. It annoys mm. me. Yep. Crazy. So good for you, too. Well, to start off with, I could just make it to the end of the street and back again. That was it. Mm -hmm. But it's very hilly around Royal Brisbane Hospital. 
the challenge was to go the other way to the top of the hill. And I had a few stops on the way and then finally I could get to the top of the hill. And then we could go, you know, right around the big block. And I think on average we got to do three or four kilometres a day. We got lost one day and probably did about six. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, we had to ask for help (laughs) because we didn't take our phone with us. And and we'd crossed a river and it was like, we don't know how to get back. We'll have to go all the way back again. But anyway, we found our way. With help, (laughs) that was. It sounds like, and that's so positive that you got straight into your exercise. And it sounds to me like, not knowing you at the time, but a positive attitude got you through because you know you keep keep saying this happened, but we coped. So I feel like you just went, okay, well, this is one of the roles that I'm going through, but it'll be fine at the end, or I'll just keep going. Oh yes, Um, I think you have to. Greg was always with me. My children were always very positive. Yeah. FaceTimed with the grandchildren. And I always made sure I had a beanie or something on because I was yeah. twice I lost my hair. And I was really bald. I was shiny bald the last time. Before that I was fuzzy bald. <laughs> it all fell out. And it's all grown back. It looks lovely now. It, it's, yeah. It's thick and it's all back. this is the end of the chemo curls because wow. it all curly and I knew I'd go back straight. So many people say that, that they, it, it goes curly after. Yeah. I had a lot of people didn't recognise me at home wow. when I got home because I had curls and I've never had curls. Mm. <laughs> short and curly. And it wasn't until I spoke to them, they said, oh, it's Glennis. Oh, my gosh, you know. Wow. Yeah. So. And now it's coming back to straight again. It's coming back to straight. Yeah. It'll come back mm. to straight. Once this goes. I used to just have that's a bob, it. like a long bob. So yep. that's what it will do. And it was nice to actually um, see it coming back. <laughs> I didn't know what colour I'd be. I thought I'd be greyer than this, but sort of a <laughs> mixture. I've got Nat's yeah, it's, it's nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's part of, and it's part of your, um, like your outward version of yourself to the world. We're, we're always taught that, you know, do your hair have nice hair, and then when you lose it, there's a part of you that, yeah, for, for me, for lo- losing my hair, I, I would just go, oh, goodness, like just looking at that kind of bald yes. head without your kind of covering, there's, a there's yeah, hair's like a protection, I don't know, around your face. I think it's harder for women than mm. it is for men. It was interesting when I was in Gold Coast Hospital and it all started to fall out, it really is to the point, just get rid of it. Yeah, It was just coming out in handfuls. It was in all your clothes. It was just get rid of it. Yeah. And no one was there at Gold Coast to actually shave my head. And Greg came in with the shears in the end and just (laughs) hid. Whereas at Royal Brisbane, one of the nurses, he did it. He came in and just, it was a little handheld round circular thing that just fitted to okay. and he just oh. got rid of it and really you don't want it you really don't want it. no I think it's more distressing seeing it fall out bit by bit than just getting rid of it because and once it goes it's, yeah. it's just everywhere it's awful yeah so you just have lots of different um beanies and scarves and yeah hats <laughs> all sorts of things yeah my ears got really cold. That was one thing. I said, oh, Greg doesn't have much hair. 
And I kept saying to him through the water, are your ears cold? And mine were like ice. And he'd be going, no, no, no. no. <laughs> well, you're so used to being able to kind of, especially women with long hair, you know, we're so used to be to bring them, bring it down. And when we're cold, we wear our hair down, I feel. And when we're hot, we put it up because yeah. get it off the ears. But, That's right. That's yeah. Right. So well, one other thing. Makes sense. At both hospitals, I had two pictures of me before I got sick. So they weren't just talking to a sickly, bald woman. That was me. was behind my bed. This is me. That's this a is great idea. Like. And that's a little hint. Have a picture of yourself because that's who you are. This yes. person isn't who you are. And you're going to get better. That is a fantastic idea. I love to see people. So I'm based at one of the accommodations in Adelaide. And I see people come in when they're unwell and, and then when they're going through treatment, they're coming to and from. And then they often come back to visit later. And there's often when I don't recognise them because I haven't seen them in that well state. No. So they come back in with their hair grown back and, the, you know, kid on their hip that's grown up. And it's just like, oh, you're back. And, you know, your baby's three and, and you look fantastic. So it's that's a really, that's a top hint actually. I like that. Yeah, it just helps make you realise you can get back to that yes. sort of thing. And family photos around you, that helps all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's been my journey. You know. Thank you so much for sharing. That's, um, what comes through for me, as I said, is your the attitude, positive attitude, passion for life comes through that and how important having family around, having your husband there the whole time, your extended family being able to, if not visit, then FaceTime and just be, and those text messages from friends and just keeping your social people around you and still communicating and not going to your shell and not involve the people that obviously love you and want to be involved. People were amazing. I know yeah. I got from my gym one of the cards and all the girl, a lot of the girls had signed it. Some people's names I didn't recognise, but they knew me, mm. which was interesting. Yeah. And I had to sort of, when I got back to gym, I had to find out who they were. <laughs> And I knew them by face, so but not by now. Yeah. But one of the get well cars was the said, you're a tough cookie. <laughs> and I went, oh, that sounds really good. That's well, cute. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, get and you obviously had an impact on them at the gym, even though you didn't know exactly who they were by name and face together, but you obviously, you know, the way that you present yourself and yeah. communicate with people oh, had right. an impact had, on them. Um, they gave me a massage when I was better, when I was allowed to oh, nice. massages. Yeah. At um, Olivia Newton-John has a wellness clinic up our way. Yes. We used to own it. Mm -hmm. So I, I could go there when I was better. And they also did a Kim Toft art shop workshop because I like art. I could do that when I was better. Actually, one of the photos I was going to send you, I'm doing the artwork and I've got really, really short hair. <laughs> it's like. Hardly there, but it was there. So wow. Once, yeah. once that covering started, I started going out with no beanies or hats or anything. It was just like, wow, well, it's there. It's, it's there. Yeah, this is me. That's me. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> and did you find any, being more regionally based, did you, I guess everything happened so fast, it sounds like you, you were able to get access to the more tertiary hospitals very quickly so there, there wasn't really too much of a struggle being more of a in a regional location. Yeah, it does. It interests me at the moment because a friend of mine has lymphoma and she's been getting treated at Lismore Base Hospital 
and then mm-hmm. ultimately will have a stem cell, but her own stem cells at Gold Coast University, whereas I went straight from Ballina to Gold Coast to Royal Brisbane. And I just wondered mm. if they treat different blood cancers slightly differently. I, I don't know. I think the acute leukaemias, they really, it's an instant. It's um, quick. <laughs> that would be why it was so quick. And I think, you know, because you, you, you weren't unwell and weren't feeling any of the effects of it, but obviously your bloods were off and mm. showed them that, that you needed to go immediately. And so, yeah, it is a little bit different with the acute leukaemias compared to the lymph. Did you say your friend Lymphoma. had lymphoma? Mm. Yeah. It was interesting in that like a month before or three weeks before I was diagnosed, we were up at Canyon Gorge doing bushwalking up and down mountains. So it really wow. was quick. And, and I had no idea. I thought it was asthma, which it had the symptoms of asthma, but it was mm. asking it wasn't getting better. Mm. Yes. And luckily, you know, that you, you went, okay, well, might just take myself to hospital instead of persevering with the prednisone and the you know all the different things you're on for the for the asthma. Some people don't like medical interactions; they don't like to go to hospital or, or even GPs. So there's people that will try and manage it themselves. So you could have waited days before oh, going. And even to go so to the doctor, I would have had to ring up, plead mm-hmm. that I needed an appointment, have blood tests, which would have taken a couple yeah. of days. So that would have put me back. Four or five days. That would have been another week. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and when I've sometimes had, everything when I've had to go up for the further assessments and bone marrow biopsies, I've got funding through IPTAS, which is the New South Wales yes. support. So that was great. Mm. I just got them to sign it, filled out the form, sent it in. It was good. They looked after us. <laughs> I really do. There's some good supports out there and, and you know, as you said, um, Leukaemia Foundation you know, have supports for everybody going through uh, blood cancer, blood disorder, and it makes me happy that you are able to interact with us very early on and I hope that moving forward our aim is for that to happen for everybody so that, you know, the we're referred right at the beginning so you know what support's there when you need it. Even if you don't need anything in that immediate moment, you're too overwhelmed and, you know, you go, oh, I don't want to talk about all of that stuff, you know, the financial stuff, the working, all of that. It's it's overwhelming, but it's good to know it's there. We, we're retired, so we hadn't even thought about that. But we mm-hmm. did meet in another one of the units, uh, a father from Grafton, and with his wife, with twin boys who were about five or six, mm. and he was the breadwinner, you know. Yeah. And it was just, if it wasn't for Leukemia Foundation helping them, they would have been really, really in deep trouble. So, mm. you know, they were there straight away. And seeing the girls, like I had Alison and Jade, both unfortunately moved on to mm. other things, but... They used to ring me and I'd ring them every now and then, have a little chat. Yeah. So now I said to Marianne in Brisbane, I said, well, you might have to be the substitute for the girls because <laughs> every yeah. now and then, I, you know, it's just nice to have a talk to somebody. Oh, it is. Mm. And that's what we do. You know, we, we, we say we're here for, for the long journey. We're not just here for the treatment process. We're here for life, basically. So we like to keep in contact with our regulars and we're always, you know, at the other end of the phone if... If nobody has contacted you for a while or a patient for a while, then always pick up and ring that one eight hundred six two zero four two zero. And I have. Done. There's always one of us that answers that now. Yeah. And that's when I found out Jade had moved on. 
which I've since seen mm. her in a webinar, and I've since found out Alison's moved into a private hospital with Pat. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, if I need to, I'll probably ring Mary Ann or you. Mary Ann. Or you. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I, I can be your. Mary Ann can be secondary. I can be the third one on the list <laughs> if you can't get her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mary Ann's nice good. just yes. having a, a talk. My friend who has lymphoma, she's been sent booklets and so on and so forth, but hasn't actually talked to anyone. And I was to see her before Christmas, and then I got COVID. So I couldn't mm. see her. And then I was to see her yesterday, but she's not doing very well with a lot of pain. And she's in the hospital in Lismore Base. And they've put off her stem cell transplant till whenever she's good enough and able to handle it. better, mm. yeah. So she really, I've known her for years. We used to all play squash together. Our children were all in nippers together. So I've known wow. her for a long time. I've talked to her daughter, but and I've talked to her husband, but she's just not in real good space mm, at the moment. Not up for talking. No. Well, do let them know, even if her husband or her daughter want to reach out to us on her behalf and we can get her registered and talk to even if we're just supporting them while she's unable to. I'm assuming, yeah. I don't know, I don't know who's contacted her, whether it's New South Wales Leukemia Foundation, mm. or if it's the Brisbane one, I find Queensland is a lot better organised than New South Wales. I've had nothing from New South Wales, but I've had a lot from Queensland. So mm. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the answer is there. <laughs> no, there's a lot more staff in Queensland, which is a good thing for Queensland. We, But we do need to, and part of my role, so I'm based in Adelaide, but I'm, I'm a regional remote outreach blood cancer support coordinator so I try and get people aware of us nationally and try and support people nationally that that need to speak to us and I'm also on the triage line where we now pick up that 1-800-620-420 we pick that up and you can get one of us instantly between like 10 and 4 on weekdays and yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of things happening this year and hopefully a lot of improvements and ways of communicating and ways for people to link in with us more easily and a lot of changes since COVID as well with the online support groups and the webinars and these podcasts this was just a um, trial for a little while we just thought we'd try it out and see how it goes when they were released and it's, it's gone really well and people are just um, appreciating being able to listen to people such as you. Mm. Well yeah I think especially regional areas we hear by word of mouth and yes. news does get around a, a, a regional area. She has had support with Lymphoma Association, is it, or something? Yes. Yes. Yep. So she has had some contact. But I said, look, you know, I can give you numbers if you need to talk to anyone. And I gave it to her husband too. I said, just, okay, you know, be prepared. Yep. I said, if you've got questions, just ring up and ask. Yeah, absolutely. And it's about the hospitals knowing about she's in Lisbon base, so maybe the nurses there aren't aware of what we offer. And that and that's the part of my role as well, that just to let Allied Health and the nurses and the haematologists know we're here, that they can refer her on as well. So people don't hear about us. Even posted at the beginning. I, I had a bone density um scan this morning because I'd never had one before and um I had an incident I'd I'd heard my ribs. 
Um, and my doctor said, have you ever had a bone dance density scan? And I went, oh, no. I've always played high-impact sports sort of thing, thinking I'm strong. <laughs> and I was sitting there looking at notice board, and there are other things advertised. There was breast cancer and this thing. There's nothing about nothing the foundation, no. And I thought even, yeah. even a poster there where people go in all the mm-hmm. time, that was Northern Rivers Radiology, and then there's some okay. Sullivan and Nicolaides who do all the blood testing, you know. Yes. Because you do sit there yep. when you've got nothing to do. You read all the posters. <laughs> you do, <laughs> and yes. <laughs> and over and over and over, over again. And over. Yes, I that's usually a good take idea. A book. That's another hint. Always take a book with you wherever you go. Yes. Because you yep. sit and wait. You do, you do. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. This has been invaluable and I've really enjoyed spending time with you. So thank you for sharing today and I'm sure that people will love listening to your story and get some positive vibes from it. I feel, yeah, feel very positive after speaking to you. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. We hope that you found it helpful in some way. If you would like more information on today's show or our services, please feel free to contact 1-800-620-420 and someone will be able to connect you with your local blood cancer support coordinator. Also, if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe, share, or even give us a rating on your podcast app. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Kate Arkadiff, and you've been listening to the Leukemia Foundation's podcast, Talking Blood Cancer.